If I asked you to describe what is distinct about Canadians, what would you say? We're sometimes known as a country where people are kind, polite, open, welcoming, a country that is grappling with its own history of oppressions and, I hope, trying to be better, trying to live up to our global reputation as a cultural mosaic, a place that embraces diversity and is striving for equality and opportunity for all people. My name is Kate Graham. Thank you for joining me today for our final episode of No Second Chances. If you've been following this journey, you'll know that we began by examining a Canadian phenomena, the fact that in a country where we re-elect incumbents all the time, we've never re-elected a female first minister to lead through a second elected mandate, or put more simply, no second chances. Our first season told this story in the voices of the women who have lived it. We produced a podcast, then a children's book, then a book for adults, a lot of videos, and a couple of big events. And this season, we have cast our eyes abroad, visiting countries in every populated continent to see what's worked to get more women into top political roles. We've met some inspiring people, and we have quite a list of specific actions and ideas. Last week, we did a roundup of what we've learned, including that many of the barriers to reaching political leadership that women face exist around the world, and that they only change when people demand it. So, as we close off our tour, Canada, it's time for us to have a chat. 20, 25 years ago, Canada looked pretty good globally in terms of, you know, having women in politics. You know, we were one of the, you know, not pioneers, but we were we were looking pretty respectable. And we don't look respectable anymore because other countries are just shooting way above us. Meet Dr. Susan Franceschet, a professor of political science at the University of Calgary. Interestingly, and there's a handful of countries where, you know, if you think about parity as 40 to 60, where it's kind of flipped and the 60% are women and the 40% are men. And that's something that, you know, I, again, I do research on lately, I've been doing a lot of research on cabinets. And it's quite remarkable how many cabinets are now starting to have um, women majorities, something that, you know, we just never would have thought that it would happen. Will Canada ever get there? I mean, maybe, but I don't think anything is going to change our slow, slow, slow. Like, it's like every election, we go up a little bit. Slow is right. The professor is correct that we're making very gradual improvements in the overall percentage of women being elected. But we've also fallen in international rankings because progress, quite simply, has been faster elsewhere. So why is that? I'm not sure people think it's urgent. I think a lot of people just assume incorrectly that we have gender equality. I, I don't know that the average person, that the term parity is on the, um, on the radar of the average person. I think that's something that more and more needs to emerge as a term that, that, is, that is meaningful, whether that's just, you know, activists start talking about it more, um, leaders start talking about it more, the media. But when it comes to just gender equality, I think most people mistakenly think we're there um, without, you know, without realizing that 
yeah, why are, you know, all our party leaders are men. And, you know, we used to have women in, uh, we used to have women premiers and now we really don't anymore. So we don't see the issue as being urgent. And we have historically been quite resistant to interventions that would achieve parity like quotas. I think the obstacles are this, this idea, this very, very strong idea that affirmative action, you know, quote unquote, affirmative action is um, antithetical to merit, which is, of course, just completely, completely untrue. Um, Another idea that is maybe more prevalent in like the Anglo-American democracies is just this, you know, this idea of um, equality of opportunity, right? So it's more the you know, even with respect to our social programs and stuff, we're not, you know, we're, Canada has never really fully been on the social democratic side of things. We've always been, you know, we're certainly more generous than the United States, but we're still, you know, we're still not trying to achieve equality of outcome. So those are, those exist in a lot of the ideas in, in Canada and probably you know, because we're so informed by American culture. But I think some, to some extent, some of those ideas even come out of our, you know, the British colonialism. What Professor Francis Gett is saying is concerning. Basically that for Canadians, increasing the representation of groups traditionally left out of politics and political leadership, including women, but also racialized and indigenous communities, well, it doesn't feel urgent to most Canadians. And what's worse, we hold on to these old ideas of equal opportunity, a blindness or an unwillingness to address the systemic barriers that have kept these groups out of political leadership in the first place. But the cost of this is very, very high. We live in a moment when trust in politics is low, when people are questioning some of the foundational ideas about our democracy. And... In the professor's wise words, democracy is not democracy with without relatively equal proportions of men and women participating. Right. Yes. Until our politics and our political leadership look more like the diversity that is Canada, well, we will continue to lose out on the talents of large groups of people. And it threatens the legitimacy of our democracy as a whole. And so we have to do better. Everybody told me a lot. I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people said, how are you going to do this? This isn't going to work for you. And I said, watch me. You probably recognize this voice, maybe from her time hosting Canada AM or The Social. Marcy Ian is Canada's Minister for Women and Gender Equality and Youth. So she's ideally positioned to speak to what we need to do in Canada to see more diversity in our political leadership. But let's start at the beginning. Politics wasn't exactly in Marcy Ian's plan. It's important to have the background and it's important to know people's stories because what I realize is a lot of assumptions can be made and people think, oh, you know, it was an easy path and oh, doors fly, you know, flew open and all of these things. And, and the answers to those questions are no, they didn't fly open necessarily. Um, so it was um, just after George Floyd had been killed. And I was doing the social at the time, uh, the talk show, the Bell Media talk show. 
And I was um, the only Black host. And I really felt at that time that I had to speak not just my truth, um, but the truth of others as well. That I really needed to be a voice for the voiceless. And that meant representing my life, obviously, as a Black woman, um, as a mom, uh, as a sister and an aunt and a friend and all of the things. And having the audience understand that George Floyd um, became this symbol for the Black community, but for other communities too. But for, for me personally, it was, that could have been my dad. That could have been my uncle. That could be, you know, my son years and years from now. And so it was really, really difficult. And so that got me thinking, Kate, um, about using my voice. And I always felt I used it well, but this just was, I need to do more. Clearly, I need to do more. And I was thinking about service and, and, and I had been writing my book. I had been doing all these different things and, and really being forthcoming about possible change. You know, I was also in my early 50s and thinking, do I, what do I do? Is this where I need to be? You know, all of those questions. And so <laughs> it's interesting what you put out there. Um, I ended up getting a call and, uh, from, from the PMO and it was, would you consider running? And this is some months later. This is now we're into fall of 2020 and it's, would you consider running? And, and I had never, ever considered politics ever. It was nothing that I ever wanted. This wasn't the plan. If someone would have said to me, you know, a couple of years ago, hey, you're going to make this pivot and you're going to be in politics and you're going to represent Toronto Center and, you know, you're going to have a ministry and you're going to be responsible for women and gender equality and youth. I would have said no. But then that no turned into a yes. And I had to check um, with my family, most importantly, my kids. And it was, it was Blaze who said to me, Mama, if not you, who? That's what she said. And uh, I'm trying not to get emotional here because somebody said to me uh, recently, she gave you the permission to leave. She gave you the permission to not be home every day. That's hard. <laughs> and um, she is my almost 18-year-old now, um, the wisest person I know. And um, she absolutely pointed me in the right direction. I am grateful to be here. I am honored to be here. Um, but I'm also vigilant. I am stalwart. Uh, I want to get so much done for for all of us. 
So let's talk about that. We have been talking about representation in politics in Canada for decades, and progress has been so slow. So what is it going to take? My good friend and and fellow cabinet minister, Ahmed Hussein, the Minister of Housing and Diversity and Inclusion, always says that diversity is a given, right? It happens, it's all around us, but inclusion is a choice. And there's a very, very huge difference there because it's one thing to have gender equality. It's another thing to have racial equality. And so what I have found even in my previous career is that every single one, I'm counting back now, 20-something years, most of my um, executive producers and leaders were women. They were white women. And so that can be seen as we're moving forward, right? We're, we're, we're doing well, but it's putting that intersectional lens because I was an only for a lot of my career, right? My broadcasting career. And as I mentioned, uh, I'm, I'm an only right now where I sit. I have amazing colleagues, but we have to understand that allyship matters. And so for women that are in positions of power that aren't of color, we need to push harder. They need to push harder. You know, it's not enough just to get there. So there's, there's that piece because it, it, um, it is a very interesting thing to say, you know, as a movement, and we talk about feminism, we've made leaps and bounds, and we have, but it hasn't been equal. And um, racialized women, indigenous women um, have, have been left behind. And when we throw out the stats on women and all that, when you put an intersectional lens on that, it doesn't add up. We're far behind. So allyship matters. So all those glass ceilings that are being broken, right? Um, it matters that you pull up, you pull others alongside you. And, and, and I would say in particular, the racialized I- indigenous um, women, um, disabled women. I mean, there's so LGBTQ too. I mean, there's so much, but when you look at racialized women in particular, the numbers are staggeringly rough. They're rough and they're they're hard to look at. And so there's that, there's that kind of allyship because there's, uh, there's a lot of work to do. You know, there really is. And, and I see everything, Kate, through an intersectional lens. I have to. It's who I am, right? And, and, I, and I see and I have lived experience. And that's the good thing, I guess, about being um, almost 53 years old, that I, I have lived experience and, and I understand and I've been part of systems. You asked uh, earlier about any um, systemic issues that I've had. Yeah, of course. They're just hard to pinpoint, right? Like you don't, it's hard. You don't know why you aren't progressing as quickly as you should. 
looking at counterparts that have the same skill set that are maybe getting opportunities you're not getting and that whole idea of having to wait. Wait your turn. And then the other part of that is if you do get through the door, and I did, knowing that you're taking so many others with you and it is pressure. It's a, it's, listen, I'm honored to have that pressure, but it is pressure because there's that idea of I can never make a mistake. I, I've got to be great at this because if I'm not great at this and I'm always looking at who's coming behind me, who, who I, want all, I want all the people behind me. If I don't do well and I'm an only, what's going to happen? Is there going to be a sense of, we're not going to try this again? And, and I need that not to be the case. The minister and I talked about this pressure to be perfect, especially for those who are the first or and only. The framing of this whole project, No Second Chances, speaks to the challenges that women face, but for women of color, it would be no first chances. We've only had Indigenous female premiers in the territories, and the very few women who have reached our top political posts, well, they have been white, able-bodied, and mostly straight women. And if you're in, you know, there really may not be a second chance, and it's that you better be good, right? And nobody says that to you, but it's, you, you feel it. Like you better be exceptional. This is a pressure that just does not exist for white men who have been so overwhelmingly overrepresented that they don't carry this burden of expectation for them to be perfect or exceptional. Let's call it what it is. We have lower expectations for men and higher expectations for women, and especially women from diverse communities. Whether we are aware of it or not, we evaluate them differently. It's not some weird coincidence that women don't last as long in political leadership roles as men do in Canada. Like it or not, it is a reflection of the biases that we as Canadians still hold. White men can get away with a lot of things that just wouldn't fly for those who are striving to break through new glass ceilings. And Canada, that is on us. We've covered a lot of ground in this series, taking a close look at women in our top political leadership roles, and now this tour all around the world. And there are things that can be done. Parties can implement quotas. Electoral reform is possible. Governments can make decisions that promote social and economic equity. We can mobilize to recruit, support, finance, and promote women, and a greater diversity of women. But for each of us as Canadians, as participants in our shared political culture, we also have to do the work. We have to acknowledge the biases that we hold and how our own perspectives limit what we see. Minister Marcy Ian had a more succinct way to say this. Empathy. It's about empathy, Kate. And it is about identifying the leaders in your communities that you think, you know, and that could be a woman working at a school right now, a social worker, you know, and and it could be be a leader that just, um, you know, emanates what we need in this country right now, identifying them and saying, hey, Hey, wait a minute, right? Because that's what I—that's what I'm going to be doing. You would be amazing. Like I'm hoping that me being in the position that I'm in 
and the other great female leaders that we have, my gosh, Anita Nan and, you know, Mary Ng, like, like so that we have inspires people. So it's people in your communities, reach out, identify leaders, knowledge is power. I would encourage everybody to get to know somebody that they don't know, maybe someone of a different culture, get to know them. Ask questions. And we get in these kind of divisive lanes where we go through our lives in this kind of homogenous, you know, one way kind of way. And we don't get out of those lanes. And it's just so beautiful to do that, to understand other communities, to understand people that may not always be around you, you know, to, to read. Um, it, to, to just experience different things because that's what's going to bring us closer together when we understand our neighbors and stories, right? It, it's, it's telling those stories. I hope I'm empowering people to be truthful about their stories because when people feel afraid to come forward and speak their truth because they feel that they'll be punished in some way or, you know, at work or wherever they are, that's trauma. It's layered trauma, and that's problematic. So it's just creating environments where people can tell their truth, be themselves, and walking with empathy. It's the most important word. Empathy. That's it. Get, get to know people. Get out of your comfort zone. I asked you at the beginning of this episode what you think is distinct about Canadians. Wouldn't it be great if we could honestly answer that it was empathy? or a deliberate choice towards inclusion, or allyship, where each of us uses the power we have in the places and spaces we are to lift others up, to remove the barriers that others face, to build a fairer and more equitable Canada. Every year, I teach an undergraduate course on leadership, and believe it or not, I start the class by having my students watch videos of Schools of Fish, mesmerizing videos, hundreds of thousands of tiny fish rapidly moving in sync with one another like a cloud through the sea. For the fish, it's about survival, sometimes finding food, sometimes avoiding some kind of threat. And I asked my students about the idea of leadership. So is one of those fish the leader and the rest are just following along? Or is leadership something more? Something captures this broader collective action to move forward together. The reason that the school of fish works and they don't bump into each other is that the fish instinctively know something that we sometimes seem to have forgotten. Each fish has a narrow perspective depending on where they are in the school. They can only see so much and others in the school may see or sense other things, things that they cannot see, but together, they respond. Any fish can change the movement of the school as they effortlessly shift between leader and follower roles. In simpler terms, they value their own perspectives and the perspectives of others. It is a powerful tool of survival. Similarly, Representation in politics is not just about the nice photo op reflecting diversity. It's not about counting up the women or seeing underrepresented groups finally break through. 
It's about valuing the fullness of the perspectives and experiences that are Canada. It is about collectively responding to the things that others see, even when you cannot. It's about making us better at solving problems, responding to threats, and moving forward. And that is why we need our politics to better reflect the diversity that is our country. It's about the legitimacy of our democracy and our ability to move forward. So as we end our tour and conclude this project, I will leave you with one final thought. You have more power than you think you do. Just like the fish, you can shift people and spaces and movements and ideas around you more than you think you can. You have opportunities every day in the places and spaces you find yourself to build the kind of country you want to see. So let's do it. No Second Chances is a special project of Canada 2020. This episode was written and hosted by me, Kate Graham, and edited by Aaron Reynolds. No Second Chances is produced by the Canada 2020 team, including Carolyn Smith and Aisha Jara, under the leadership of Executive Chair Anna Ganey. The music is by Meredith Yeyanos. More information about the project can be found at nosecondchances.ca. And the No Second Chances podcast and this broader project has been made possible by the very generous support of Margaret McCain and MasterCard.